The Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is brought to you by Blue Pineapple Travel. Blue Pineapple Travel are experienced travel agents who help you design the perfect trip. They're all well-traveled and knowledgeable, and they will be your advocates from start to finish. The world is a lot different these days, and the agents at Blue Pineapple Travel are ready to help you safely navigate it. From helping you figure out the conscientious destinations to helping you figure out entry protocols for different countries, the agents at Blue Pineapple Travel are there for you. Looking to work abroad for an extended period of time? Looking to attend virtual school from a remote location? These are all things that Blue Pineapple Travel can help you do. Again, their website is bluepineappletravel.com. The Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is also brought to you by ITL Coaching and Performance. You can find them at itlcoaching.com. ITL Coaching and Performance exists to build a community of athletes set on reaching goals and serving the community. They have a passion for helping people achieve their goals and dreams. ITL coaches are real people with phones, emails, and the desire to spend time with you during your training. They are vested in their ITL athletes. ITL takes a communal approach to coaching, so there's always someone available to answer questions and to help adjust your training schedule. An ITL coach will be glad to meet with you and to chat about your goals and find the best plan to help you meet those goals. Again, their website is itlcoaching.com. And finally, the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is also brought to you by SlayRx. You can find those good folks at www.slayrx.com. Are you needing a pleasant spark to take your endurance game to the next level? Are you needing an all-natural, high-quality, customized hydration powder with or without sugar to stave off cramping and dehydration? Are you in need of an effective all-in-one fuel to slay your endurance efforts? Look no more. SlayRx. SlayRx has a really good line of products to serve our most pleasant exhaustion podcast listeners. Let's start with Michelle's favorite, Spark Plug, which replaces sports gel and gross post-race strips to the Porta Johns. It's a poppin' electrolyte powder in small, easily carried tubes. There's also an all-in-one endurance fuel. It has all of your electrolytes, clean fuel, and for no extra cost, your essential amino acids with or without caffeine. And it costs about one-third as much as other brands' combo rocket fuels. Finally, they have my favorite, SlayRx Hydrate Powder, which comes with or without sugar and varying strengths of electrolytes based on your individual needs. They can find those individual needs on the free quiz online at SlayRx.com or with in-person testing like Patrick and I did at their headquarters on podcast episode number 114. Hydrate is the fuel that I use during the Blue Ridge Relay this year, and I recommend it for all of you as well. SlayRx products are 100% natural, come in great flavors, are vegan friendly, and the Hydrate Light is keto friendly. They've all been well researched and developed by a UGA food scientist who's also an Ironman athlete. The products are tested by the pros and endorsed by your fellow endurance athletes and hardworking folks in the community. The free sweat quiz and their products can be found at SlayRx.com, on Amazon.com, or at your local run and bike shop if it's available. You can use the code PLEASANT22 for 10% off at their website. Thanks to SlayRx for sponsoring us, y'all. Give them a try. We appreciate our sponsors, and thanks to all of them for helping us bring you the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast. an exhaustion podcast brought to you by ITL Coaching Performance, Blue Pineapple Travel, and Slayer X. My name is George Darden. I'm an endurance athlete and coach here in Atlanta, Georgia. I'm a father of twin boys and I'm a college professor. My name is Michelle Frank. I'm also an endurance athlete here in Atlanta, Georgia. I am a <clears throat> mom to three girls and a CPA. And my name is Eric Hall. I'm an endurance athlete and coach in Raleigh, North Carolina, a father to three teenagers, an engineer, and the husband to a beautiful wife, Melissa. 
We have a very special guest with us tonight that I am excited to welcome, Corey Waltering, professional ultra runner. Welcome to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion podcast. Hey guys, thanks for having me. This is so awesome. <laughs> hey Corey, we're super excited to have you here. Uh, first, a uh, quick shout out to um, Allison Lehrer for hooking us up and uh, giving me the idea to bring you on the podcast. So want to thank her. She's a big listener of the podcast. So, um, but yeah, welcome to the most pleasant exhaustion podcast. We, we know you hail from the Midwest, which it seems like every amazing runner, uh, comes from either Wisconsin or Illinois or something like that these days. And just wanted to let people know a little bit about your background. Uh, started out as kind of a 400, 800 meter runner in high school. Um, Corey worked his way up in distance in college and actually moved to triathlon, uh, was pretty much on his way to becoming a professional triathlete, it seems like, when he discovered ultra running. Uh, we have a lot to talk about your experience pacing a friend at Leadville in 2014, I think, which ultimately kind of brought you into the mountain ultra trail world. And also that after that experience, you went on to win uh, every trail race that you entered in 2015, um, one Tunnel Hill 50 in 2016, have the FKT on the Ice Age Trail and also on the Pinhoti Trail. And as of recently, uh, Strava tells us you're kind of hanging out in our neck of the woods, uh, training for something big this fall, maybe uh, with a home base in Chattanooga. So we're excited to have you here. I'm uh, going to dive in and ask you a bunch of questions. So welcome. Woo, here we go. <laughs> I feel like the place that we should start, Corey, is with the mountain mist 50Ks, because that's something that three of the four of us have done, and at least three of the four of us are planning to do next year. So I did it this year, you did it this year, Michelle did it last year. Uh, Eric is planning to do it along with me and Michelle next year, and perhaps we can talk you into it as well. Um, but uh, tell us a little bit about your experience at the mountain mist 50K. Hopefully it was better than mine. <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, I'll probably be there next year. It just seems like the thing to do. So, uh, I guess I'll be there. <laughs> At uh, least it is among this little group. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I was amazed by that, that, you know, like 500 people sign up for this thing in the middle of January and it's always cold as hell. And I'm like, why does everyone do this? But why does everyone do it? Why did you <laughs> sign up? Uh, cause I was in Chattanooga and needed something to do. So I signed up for mountain mist. And, um, you know, everyone's like, oh, it can be kind of cold or it could be raining. It's probably going to be muddy, but it's not going to be too bad. And I think it was like, what, 14 degrees on race morning this yep. year. Uh, absolutely not speedo weather at all. Um, <laughs> so, uh, I mean, the race went well. Um, I had hoped to run a little bit better than I did, but um, everything was good up until uh, the waterline climb. And I had run the course the previous week over two days. And I knew waterline can be a little bit tricky. And with the ice and the water, I once again fell at the waterfall. So I was just soaked, you know, and very Me not too. happy about it. <laughs> um, it was actually really funny. At that point, I think I was in, I think I was in 11th. And it was 11th, 12th, and 13th. We were all crossing the waterfall at the same time. And all three of us went down. Yep. And so... <laughs> Um, I found that to be pretty funny, but, uh, it was kind of miserable. Um, yeah, I don't know. It was all good until the descending down into McKay hollow. 
And I don't think I've ever gone downhill that slowly before in my life. Um, I gave up three or four places just on the downhill, gave up a few more on that final uphill. And then uh, we get to the top and you have like, what, a mile or a mile and a half of flat to the finish. And the two dudes that were with me go, oh, you know, it's flat to the finish. If you have anything to give, like you should use it now. And I'm like, what do you think I've been doing for the last five hours? <laughs> like, like, I don't have anything. Um, but yeah, still ran well. I enjoyed it. Um, I'll definitely go back. Very good. And it was it was the first finish you've had in a little while, right? You've, you've been struggling over the course of the past few months. Yeah, I hadn't finished an ultra since July, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was nice to come back to that and just get to the finish of something. Awesome. Very good. And, and you are bearded, unlike me. And so, so you were one of the people who got the, the epic uh, race photos with all the ice in your beard and stuff, right? Oh, yeah. Very good. Very good. Well, we will look forward to being back there with you, uh, back there with you next year. Sweet. I can honestly say that one thing that gave me great comfort was just how miserable you looked in some of the uh, race pictures. <laughs> Are oh, you yeah. talking to Corey? Or you talking to me? Uh, no, we've already talked. I've already talked to you about that. <laughs> so, so Corey, when you were going down McKay Hollow, uh, scrambling over boulders, literally having to jump off ledges, ice-covered rocks, and everything else, was there a point at which you began second-guessing the fact that that you used to run the 800 meters on the track, or or did you ever have that moment where you were like, you know? this is really not where I thought I would be. (laughs) Um, no, I just wanted to be done, but I mean, it was fine. Um, I, luckily I had done the course the previous week over two days. So, I mean, I knew what was coming. Um, I just didn't expect to get into McKay hollow that slow. Um, I was hoping to be there a little bit earlier and, um, have a little more cushion on that descent and then the climb, but it's all good. So how does that happen then? How does somebody who who runs short distances, who's a, who's a miler and 800 meter runner, ultimately end up getting into this ultra thing and, and not just getting into it, but actually really diving into it? Uh, I've had a few concussions from when I was a soccer player. So I think that that kind <laughs> of played a part into it. Um, no, I don't know. I mean, uh, after college, I moved to Colorado, hoping to become a professional triathlete. Cause I mean, you know, everyone moves to Boulder and does the triathlon thing. Apparently. I was uh, going to say, cause why else would you move to Boulder after college? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and so I did that and started hanging out with a bunch of trail runners and mountain bikers. And it was just this wild thing where one day a friend's like, hey, you know, I need a pacer and crew for the Leadville 100. And I didn't even know what it was. Just like, what's what's the Leadville 100? And he's like, it's a 100 mile race in Leadville. And I'm like, cool, where's Leadville? <laughs> oh, oh, wow. He's like, we have a lot to teach you, don't we? <laughs> and so... Um, so he's like, yeah, you know, we're going to go to Leadville. Like, you'll be my pacer. You'll be crewing for me. And like, I don't even know what a pacer is. Like, I don't know what a crew is because coming from, you know, half Ironman stuff and track and field and cross country, like you don't have pacers, you don't have crew, you don't have any of that. So this is just all new to me. And then to find out that this race is a hundred miles on trail and like country roads in the mountains. I'm like, who does this? Um, 
So anyway, I went up and paced him at Leadville back over Hope Pass down into Twin Lakes uh, and immediately fell in love with it. What was it? Um, just, I think, uh, climbing up Hope Pass was kind of fun just to, just to experience, like, that's the make or break part of Leadville, basically, for a lot of people. And so just to see so many people going back over the pass and people still coming over and just how miserable everybody, everybody was, like, it looked really fun. Um, and then just the view once you were on top of Hope Pass is like, this is amazing. So if that's a race, like if I can see things like that, then I absolutely want to do this. So just so give our listeners uh, perspective, Hope Pass is what, right above 12,000 feet? Uh, somewhere in there, yeah. So did you feel that? I mean, considering that you reside in Boulder, Boulder's altitude, but it's not near 12,000 feet. I mean, did you feel that pacing that section of Leadville 100? So when I first moved to Colorado, I actually moved to Estes Park, which is at like 7,800 feet. Um, So I spent the first two months up at 7,800 feet and then went down to Boulder. Um, So at that point, I would say, yeah, I felt it, but I was more used to it than, you know, I probably should have been, I guess. And what happened after you paced that Leadville that got you to kind of sign up for your own ultra running experience? Um, <laughs> uh, so I had never run over 16 miles before. Yeah, uh, I read that. <laughs> yeah. And so, uh, I paced at Leadville and then I raced my second world championships for the half Ironman and had a great race. Absolutely loved it, but had already kind of made the decision that I wanted to focus more on running after that race. So no matter what happened, I was like, I'm just going to run. And so um, I basically was feeling decently recovered and kind of bored. So I signed up for a marathon and the marathon happened to be two weeks after Worlds. And my coach at the time was like, this probably isn't the best idea. You're not, you haven't trained for this. Like, why do you, why do you want to do this? You're probably going to suffer. And I'm like, I don't know. I have to run one at some point. And uh, just to interrupt for a second, is this yeah. Mercedes marathon in Birmingham? Uh, no, this is the quad cities marathon okay. on the border of Illinois and Iowa. Okay. Um, and so I signed up for that. And so I flew back for the race and, um, ended up coming through 20 miles right at two hours and feeling great. And then ran, you know, uh, like 37, 12 or whatever for the final 10 K. And, uh, so my debut marathon was two thirty-seven off of a 16 mile long run. And, uh, my coach is like, maybe you should just run. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so, uh, I did that. And then on Instagram, after uh, I posted my result of the marathon, uh, some kid from California is like, oh, there's this 50K out in California you should do, but I don't know if your baby legs can handle it. And I was like, okay, what is it? Like, sign me up. So yeah, like it was as simple as that. Like someone just being like, I don't know if your baby legs can handle it. And I was like, great, sign me up for it. Um, so I signed up for a Malibu Canyon 50 K out in California and it ha- it happened to be in, I think December that year. And so my marathon is at the end of September, uh, 50 K in December. And so, uh, I, I didn't really know what I was doing. I just knew that I was living in Leadville. Actually, I guess I had moved up to Boulder at that point. I mean, not up to Boulder, up to Leadville. Yeah. I'd moved from Boulder to Leadville. Um, 
And it was like, I guess I'm going back to sea level and I'm racing this 50K that has 7,000 feet of elevation gain. Um, here we go. And it went well. I mean, I finished third at it and beat the dude that challenged me on Instagram. Yeah, so, you did. That was yeah. my next question. Yeah. So, I mean, <laughs> I, so technically I won. Um, I won the challenge. <laughs> there you go. Um, take that baby legs who's got baby yeah. legs now <laughs> right I mean he finished like 80 seconds behind me so I mean I have to be realistic but I still won um but yeah so then from there is like oh okay like this is this is fun this is good um and so and then I got mono <laughs> yep so uh mono was the big thing pre-covid <laughs> It was, you know, and it was funny because I had all these plans of like running my first 50 miler on my 25th birthday and blah, 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 blah. blah. And it's like, oh no, you have mono. You can't train over the winter. Um, and I was living in Leadville. So at 10,200 feet, trying to recover from mono and train in the winter was not the uh, easiest thing. Hmm. We won't tell baby legs that, that beating him gave you mono, but you know. <laughs> secret safe with us and so so what year is this is this 2015 2016 that would have been the end of 14 going into 15 okay um and so then you recover from mono and and you start signing up for races and you didn't lose any races the rest of that year right um so i won every 50k that i did i lost uh finished fourth at silver rush 50 mile in leadville it was my first 50 mile race yeah Uh, about that i think you posted that that 58 second fourth place finish kind of changed the trajectory of your running life for the most part. Is that true or? Absolutely. Um, so like that spring, since I couldn't run, you know, a 50 miler on my 25th birthday, blah, blah, blah. I was like, what am I going to do? So I focused on some road and track stuff like early in the year and ended up running a 5k and a 10k PR, um, that spring on the track and then going back up to Leadville for the 50 mile. And, um, you know, I was like, oh, I live in Leadville. I've been training on the course. Like, I think I should run well. Uh, turns out I got beat by, well, I missed the podium by 52 seconds. Um, and it turns out the dudes that beat me all went on to finish like first, second and third at the Leadville 100 that year. Hmm. Um, but I was pissed because I didn't know who any of them were, uh, nor did I care. I just knew that I got beat. Um, And so it was, it was so frustrating, um, to finish fourth, but people are like, I don't think you understand like how good of a performance that was. And it's like, I don't know, my name didn't make it into Iron Far. So it clearly wasn't good. Um, (laughs) and so it was one of those things where, uh, I was like, I'm going to come back here and I'm not going to lose. And people are like, you have a whole year, like you need to focus on something else. I was like, okay, I'll focus on something else then. Um, so like, I didn't lose anything else that year. And that was all, um, that was 50 Ks, uh, 50 K and then one tunnel Hill, 50 mile. Um, and yeah. So tell us a little bit about your transition from 2015, 2016 is kind of an amateur getting out in the mountain ultra trail scene to becoming a sponsored runner in 2017. How did that all play out for you? Um, yeah. So 2015, 2016, um, 
I really didn't even know much about trailer. Like I didn't know trailer running was even a sport until I moved to Colorado in 2014. Um, so it was one of those things where like, I didn't know what trail running was, didn't know what ultras were. Um, so here I am just like, oh, I guess people like live in the mountains and they train for road marathons living in Leadville. Cause you know, isn't that what everyone does? Yeah. Nobody does that. Um, and so, um, I was like, I think I want to try to run the Olympic trials qualifying standard for the marathon. And I had a new coach at the time and he's like, uh, you're living in Leadville. That's probably not going to happen. He's like, your speed work is like seven minute pace up here. There's absolutely no way you're going to have the turnover for it. Like it's really going to take some, you know, fancy footwork to make this happen. I was like, no, 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 it's possible. I'm just going to do all my training up here. And he's like, whatever. Okay. Um, and just realizing that I was losing the turnover of the leg speed a little bit. Uh, I think that kind of forced me into the trail stuff more. And so I just was looking at race results of previous years and stuff, trying to figure out what races people are going to, and then what races, um, you know, they had good performances at, and we're picking up sponsors and tried to talk to athletes along the way. Um, but in like 2016, I mean, I think I had a, I had a pretty solid year. Um, I think that was the year that I finished like second at the Mercedes marathon. Um, and then, you know, ran 228 there and 226 in Chicago finished fourth at American river, um, and had, uh, one tunnel Hill. I ran five hours and 30 minutes for 50 miles at tunnel Hill. Um, and so just had a lot of these, like, strong performances that I don't think people in the trail world really had much context in like how quick that was because nobody showed up to tunnel Hill some of these years. Um, so like sometimes when I'd win it, I'd win it by an hour. Um, and it's like, Oh, is that a good performance or what? Or is that like a fluke? Um, and so it was just a, a couple of years of trying to figure out what races to go to, where to put all the energy. So I basically just went everywhere and put my energy all over the place. Um, and then 2017 was my first year running for innovate. And that was pretty cool. Um, I mean, it's always nice to pick up that first bigger sponsor and, um, have the opportunity to travel a little bit more and go to some of the bigger races. Um, but that's also when I realized like, Hey, you know, like I can't just go to tunnel Hill. I either have to be the flatland runner that focuses more on flat trail stuff, road stuff still pops down to the marathon, or I'm going to have to figure out how to train for these big mountain races living in Illinois. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that was the tough transition. What made you decide the latter there? Cause you decided the latter, you decided to, to figure out a way to live in Illinois and train for the, these tough hilly mountainous races, right? Yeah, for a while. Um, and I mean, it worked, but oh man, super frustrating. Um, lots of treadmill workouts. You still have to do a lot of speed work, stuff like that. Um, cause we just don't have long extended climbs. We don't have big Hills. Um, yeah, but it worked. But you have harsh winters and horrible summers <laughs> and you persevere through both of those seasons. So Absolutely. I feel like some of the toughest runners come from the Midwest. <laughs> Oh, absolutely. Minnesota, Wisconsin, like all of it. Yeah. yeah. So, so I missed what took you back from, from back to Illinois from Leadville. So you had been living in Leadville, but then you moved back to Illinois. Yeah. Family. Okay. Okay. So, so, so you moved back home and you decided to do the hilly mountain thing, even though it meant 
time on the treadmill and doing a lot of workouts and that sort of thing. What made you choose to be the hilly trail runner rather than the guy who runs the flat ultras and sometimes steps down to road marathons? Um, I got into Western States with one ticket into the lottery. So, uh, sponsors were kind of dictating where I was going to go. Mm-hmm. Well, that, that, that would, that would motivate me as well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, so, and did you run Western States in 2018? Um, yes. You want to tell us a little bit about that? And were you still an innovate athlete then, or had you already transitioned to the North face? Uh, I was with innovate then. Yeah. That was my last year with them. Um, yeah, I mean, it was a good race. Um, I don't know. I mean, uh, I, I get that Western States is a big race for a lot of people and a lot of athletes like really focus on it. Um, I got in with one ticket to the lottery. And at that point I actually didn't even want to run a hundred, nor did I want to run Western States. So <laughs> when I got in, uh, it was actually a pretty funny day at the house. Cause I was like, Oh shit, now I have to go run this hundred mile race that I didn't want to do. <laughs> um, and so, um, that's not most people's reaction in the lottery, but that was mine. And, um, <laughs> and so I went, I trained for it the best I could. And I went out there and, uh, I ran like 1930 or something and finished top 25. And, um, I enjoyed my day. Like, I, I don't know that there's anything specific about the race that I really remember as being super amazing, except for all the volunteers. Cool. Cool. Um, let, let's transition just a little bit. I know that Eric wants to talk about what you're doing now and your training and all that sort of thing. And of course there's, there's a couple other things in your history here that we would definitely want to talk about, but, but Eric. Well, I was going to ask if you're living in Illinois and you have this like limited outdoor training time and you don't have the, let's call it facilities to, to go out and do those long extended hill climbs. What kind of workout do you put yourself through? Cause I've heard, you know, I can't remember what coach said it, but he said, you know, hill workouts are just speed workouts in disguise, but it's not the same in reverse. You, a speed workout isn't necessarily a hill workout in disguise. Like mm -hmm. you need that, that change and, you know, the, the slope in order to really get a hill workout in. So how do you, how do you approach that? Yeah. Um, so it's a lot of, you know, just basic intervals of, two minutes, three minutes, five minutes, stuff like that. Um, you know, six or eight by three minute hard, three minute easy, um, tempo runs, just stuff like that. And I mean, basically muscularly, like you can't mimic the uphill running side of it, unless you're on a treadmill, if you really want to. Um, but you can at least get your muscles to feel similar and just build that overall fitness that, uh, you just kind of hope that on a race day, you have it. So you're just, you're working on the engine, yeah. working on the engine and the muscles. What about like strength work? Cause you know, the downhill piece is also difficult. And I think a, a big thing that people miss is that strength work is what gets you down the hills. Like it's what keeps your, the, the pounding that you're going to get from really slowing you down. So did you work that in also? Uh, I actually did not. Um, and so, uh, that's one thing that I probably wish I would have done slightly different, but I didn't. That sounds familiar, George. Doesn't that sound familiar? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Um, so, so, so while we're talking about training, 
um, and, and getting things in. In 2019, um, you were did the Eco Challenge Fiji as part of Team Onyx. Um, and Eco Challenge Fiji, um, for those of you who didn't watch the, the thing on Amazon, um, is this massive multi-day undertaking um, that, that the winners did it in slightly under 10 days. Um, I had uh, a friend named Sonia who was on Team Iron Cowboy. They did it in 241 hours. Um, and, uh, and then people like Marshall Ulrich, um, who is just like a legend in ultra running um, and literally did um, um, bad water in one direction, then back, and then in one direction, then back again. So, so, so did the whole course four times in a row. Um, he was on a team that DNF'd called Team Stray Dogs. I mean, so this, this crazy thing that involves um, sailing and orienteering and mountain climbing and stuff like that. Um, how'd you, first of all, okay, how'd you even get into that? And, and, and like, how did they recruit you for that? And second, how'd you train for that? <laughs> uh, great questions. Um, so back in early 2019, I guess it was, uh, I get an Instagram message from Clifton who ends up being our team captain. And basically he's like, Hey, uh, they're bringing, eco challenge back trying to put together the first all african-american team to race an eco challenge i've been following your adventures and everything would you be interested in doing this and i thought about it and i kind of remembered watching it on like the discovery channel or something probably 10 years earlier and i thought about it a little more but i didn't really respond right away and he's like oh by the way it's in fiji and so i just get on my computer and i start googling fiji and i see you know white sand beaches and blue water and i'm like oh fiji yeah i'll go there and race like how hard could this be um so we fill out an application it's like a video application you have to do and uh i fill it out and <laughs> Uh, you know, I'm, I'm in at this point, uh, maybe a month has gone by or something and I'm in Hong Kong getting ready to race the nine dragons. And then I get an email that's like, oh, you guys have been selected for eco challenge. And I'm like, oh, this is a problem. <laughs> like, like this is actually a problem. Um, because I had, since we didn't hear anything for, I don't know, four or six weeks or something, I basically had already, figured out the racing schedule I wanted for the rest of the year. And it was my first year running for the North face. And so now I'm trying to explain to the North face that, you know, I can't really race in the second half of the year because I'm racing this thing called eco challenge. And yeah, so it was wild, but, um, training for that, they sent out a packet of information of like, you, these are the skills you need. These are the certifications you need. Um, and basically go get them and show up in Fiji and let us know that you know how to do them. Mm. <laughs> so, um, what was so, on that list? Yeah. So they had like basic climbing skills and stuff, which, um, which is, uh, I had done a little bit of rope work and stuff before, but this time, you know, we're, we're using different climbing gear that was fun. Um, you had to have uh, a, like a whitewater rafting and swift water rescue course, a wilderness first aid and CPR course. Um, <laughs> there's one, you had to take like a jungle navigation and an ocean navigation oh. 
course. I mean, Illinois, like you don't, we don't have jungle or like. <laughs> no. So, uh, you can't so you're get on like, the treadmill to do jungle <laughs> navigation. <laughs> right. So it's like you're some of these things that you're just like taking these classes online to learn some of these things, whereas other people are actually out doing them and stuff. And um, luckily, our team was able to come together. Uh, I think it was twice before. No, actually, it's only once for a four, three or four day weekend before Fiji um, out in California. And we did a bunch of the different skills and stuff that we needed just to make sure we we're all getting certified the same way. Um, which was also nice to finally meet all my teammates because the next time I met everybody was in Fiji, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um, which then it's like, oh, cool. Now we're getting ready for this 500 mile race. I've met all of you guys once and, uh, I'm trusting you with my life that we're not going <laughs> to kill each other and we'll make it to the finish. Literally so, actually you trusting go- you with your life. Yeah. yeah. Well, and you have to get <laughs> along with them. Yep. <laughs> like the, the the social aspect of that cannot be forgotten and that's so important for sure yep and there's very little sleep and not a lot of food yeah yeah which makes the social interaction so much easier oh yeah okay so every <laughs> tired people get along really well <laughs> so so i'll ask you a similar question the one i asked you before when we were talking about mountain mist and and really in, in light of what you're, what you're describing here, um, and in light of what I saw on the Amazon show, special, which I would encourage folks to go back and watch if they haven't watched it. Um, um, the, the question I asked before about, you know, was there a point in Mountain Mist where you were like, how did I get here? Probably not. But I feel like there must have been a time in Eco Challenge Fiji when it's like pouring rain on you and you're hungry and you haven't slept and you're trying to to orient yourself up the side of a mountain through a gully or junk I don't know something um and where you had to kind of say how the hell did I get here I mean did you have that moment oh yeah multiple like (laughs) probably one an hour starting after like the second or third day um (laughs) um I don't know. Like, I think that one of my least favorite moments was the stand-up paddleboard. No, the first stand-up paddleboard leg. Uh, it was 30 kilometers, but it was upriver. And, uh, you know, so <laughs> it was, there was a tropical storm coming in. And basically they're like, if you are not off your sailboats, but on your stand-up paddleboard by this time, like you will not be able to complete the course just because you're going to miss the cutoffs because they had to shut the course down because of this tropical storm. So uh, Team New Zealand is probably 100 kilometers ahead at this point, and they're sleeping in somebody's house somewhere as, you know, other teams are out there just getting thrashed around by this tropical storm. And so it was one of those things where you're like, oh, my goodness, like, why am I here? Like, why are there white caps on a river? Like there should not be white caps on this river. And it was just miserable. And I think we were on the stand-up paddleboard for 14 hours that day. Oh my God. Um, and I've never been so excited to see land. Um, like that was just one of those, like, I don't know, like I was ready to be done at that point. And it's it was it was just so frustrating because we're uh navigating this river at night. 
And we, I mean, we navigated great and it took us 14 hours, but there are teams that were just making, you know, little mistakes, getting caught in this finger, that finger of the river. And some of these mistakes were costing teams anywhere from two to six hours. And I mean, that's just so demoralizing at that point. For sure. For sure. And, and y'all didn't make it, right? No, we did not. Yeah. Which there's no shame in that. Yep. Less than half the teams did, um, but but what happened? What 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 kept y'all from being able to finish the race? Yeah, um, you know, just uh, I think uh, accumulative fatigue, kind of catching up with the team a little bit, and we had a person go down on the bike. Uh, I think the second or third bike leg that we had, and it was kind of frustrating because we were finally off of most of the big water stuff. We were finally off of, you know, the 30 kilometer stand up paddleboard legs. And, uh, you know, the first 50 miles of the race were sailing or paddling since there isn't really that much wind, um, and all that. So we were finally more on like inland Island stuff on foot, um, or on bike and just, you know, in the blink of an eye, one of our teammates went down and ended up with a concussion. Um, and we had to make the call of, Hey, do we continue on or do we turn back? And, uh, I don't really remember that scene too much. How it was portrayed on TV, but like how, how it was on TV. I mean, that, that was really how it was, but there is a lot more into it than just what you, what you saw in like the 30 seconds of it or whatever on the show. Mm-hmm. So every team like that people kind of fall into roles and george so george and i run the blue ridge relay every year so (laughs) we get together the same thing not the same (laughs) not equating these uh at all but what i'm what george will attest to is i'm the organizer in the sense of when the van is trashed I will start cleaning stuff up and putting stuff away because that's kind of like, I know that that will make us better. It may not, but I internally, I know that that will make us better. We have another guy who is like the the planner, like he's making sure that we get to the next point. We're there early enough for a runner to show up. You know, it's a relay race. Um, And then you've got, well, all of us kind of take that role of like joking or whatnot, but then you've got the mother and the mother's like, Hey man, don't forget to drink. Don't forget to stretch. Hey, get your clothes on. You're about to run, you know, those sorts of things. Like what, what role did you find yourself in on that team? And was it something that you knew you were good at, or was it something that you had to like learn because the team needed it? Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Um, I would say I was more, I don't know. I'm kind of funny sometimes. Um, so, so I think that my job was just to keep everyone lighthearted, keep people from, um, you know, arguing and just, you know, not taking themselves too seriously. Um, just because with, we had a lot of very strong personalities on that team. And so uh, that can be kind of hard to rein those in at times. And so uh, I think that my job is just like, all right, let's let's take a step back here. You know, let's uh, tell a joke here. Let's tell a joke there and just keep things moving along. All right, and I can totally appreciate that. And uh, th- I think that's part of the part of the, the attitude, the mantra of the, of the sport of ultra is you have to keep humor involved. You, you, you know, you, it's got to be fun. It's, it, you have to enjoy it. Oh, yeah. So so. That was in September of 2019. 
Um, and and obviously you had to take a little bit of time to recover after that. Hopefully you got to hang out in Fiji for a little while, maybe. Yeah, I stayed for like a week after. All right, that's good. That's good. Pretty good. Um, and and you tend to pack in races a lot. So did you get back to racing, or were you like in still kind of in recovery mode when suddenly everything locked down in March of 2020? Um, I was, I still did a couple of races, I think, well, more than a couple, quite a few. Um, anyway, in March, uh, I had, let me see, I guess in 2020, I guess I had just dropped out of Black Canyon 100K, uh, because I was peeing blood at 60K at Black Canyon. So, and that that was in late 2019? Uh, no, this had been 2020. That had been February, Valentine's Day. Yeah, because Black Canyon was just last week, two weeks ago. Yeah, so uh, I was hoping to get a golden ticket into Western states in 2020 and focused on Black Canyon. Like, Oh, now you want to do Western states. Okay. Yeah, exactly. When I want to do it, I can never get in. <laughs> um, and so uh, it was like, it's like, oh, I'm back from Fiji. Like I knew that show was going to be coming out later in the year. So I had this whole thing planned of like, I'm going to get really strong. I'm going to get back in shape. I'm going to lose the weight that I put on for eco challenge and I'm going to get a golden ticket at Black Canyon and then be set for the year and uh ended up peeing blood at mile like 39 or no 19 and dropped at 39 um and so then I was like what do I do I have all this fitness I just put in a great training block so uh ended up going to way too cool 50k uh, at the beginning of March and ran well there. And it's like the day I was flying home from way too cool. That was when they're coming out with like the mask mandates and the travel bans and all of that. And so I'm in the airport and they're like, yeah, like we now need to start wearing masks or whatever. And, uh, I think Chicago had said something like, if you've traveled to California or New York or whatever, then please quarantine for 10 days when you get home and like all these things. And like, I'm just trying to race. Uh, <laughs> and so, the world is shutting down and like, I have all this fitness still built up and I need to use it on something. Um, and so my coach was like, Hey, you know, just keep training. We'll put in a training block for, uh, canyons hundred K and hopefully this thing will be over by canyons, you know, at the end of April and then the world will be back to normal. And, uh, that did not happen. Um, so we want to talk a little bit about the FKT you set on the Ice Age Trail in 2020, but before that, you just mentioned your coach. Can you tell us a little bit about, you know, obviously if you were on your way to being a professional triathlete and transitioned into professional ultra runner, what did that look like for a coaching, uh, situation for you? Yeah. Uh, over the past, uh, oh man, what is this? This is 2021. So over the past seven years, oh, this is 2022. Um, so over the past, I I wasn't going to correct you, but keep going. (laughs) (laughs) Like, yeah, it's, uh, it all seems like a giant blur. So I've had three, I've had three different coaches in the past seven years, I guess. Uh, I had my triathlon coach for about two years, had a coach for the marathon for about two years. And then wow, I guess I've had more than that. Um, (laughs) and then had another ultra coach for two years. And then, uh, now I'm with Jason Coop and I've been with him for three years in April. Um, so when I was in college, I also had a triathlon coach that was giving me workouts for triathlon stuff along with like the college track and cross country coaches. Um, yeah. So I've had a few different coaches. Um, but yeah, so, uh, yeah, Coop is pretty awesome. He, uh, tends to, 
Uh, he says he is not a mileage or volume monster, but uh, I would disagree when it comes to some of our peak weeks, but whatever. Um, <laughs> that is contrary to what he says about himself. <laughs> I love it. No, he's always like, I don't know why people say that. He's like, we don't do that much. And I'm like, yeah, not that much. We just put in like an 18 hour week. Yeah, no big deal. <laughs> <laughs> like, um, yeah. Um, no, I, 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 I read his book um, and it was excellent and I very much enjoyed it. And, and, and there were several of the principles there that I imagine that he's applying when he's coaching you that I, that I began applying some of my own training and some of the training I work with some of my athletes with. So, um, so yeah, a good and thoughtful coach um, is an asset. So um, good to hear. So, so was it his idea that you would try and, and apply some of your fitness for the FKT on the Ice Age Trail? Or was it your idea? Or how did y'all come to that once you realized that races weren't coming back in 2020? Uh, that was my idea because I was bored. And um, like I was sitting at home. And I, so Illinois went like full on, let's shut down trails, parks, like all of it. So I was stuck at home running on road every day. And I was just super bored, but then I realized that the trails in Wisconsin were open. So um, I was like, hmm, I've been thinking about it for a while. And uh, Coop was like, well, just because you're bored doesn't mean you have to run like 1200 miles. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, but I mean, if not now, when though? Because I, I had the time, I had a crew assembled that would be able to, I mean, either take time off work or they weren't able to work for whatever reason at that point. Um, and so it seemed like the perfect time to do it. And um, like races weren't happening. I really wasn't worried about Western states being moved to like December with, you know, golden ticket races happening in September, October, November, stuff like that. So at that point, I was like, I'm just going to go for it. Uh, so I took three short trips up to Wisconsin, like Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, did back to back to back long runs on three different sections of the Ice Age Trail. And then uh, the next week went for it. Very good. Very good. Getting together and, that fast. Wow. And, um, so, so, and so tell us a little bit about it. I mean, the, the Ice Age Trail itself, um, it's 1,147 miles and it took you 21 days, 13 hours and 35 minutes. So um, the clock started and the clock didn't stop until you got to the end. So, so tell us kind of how you managed that and, and what were some of the, the challenges you faced? Um, yeah. How did I manage that? Probably very poorly, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> better than anybody else ever has evidently. <laughs> I actually uh, want to hear about day one with the mosquitoes. <laughs> oh man. Day one, day one and day two, like I was so over it. Day one sucked. I mean, day one was mosquitoes and ticks. Like I was so just over that. Um, but everyone's like, it gets better. It gets better. And like, <laughs> sure. I'm sure it does. Whatever. It's Wisconsin in June. Like I'm not stupid. I know it doesn't get better. And so, um, day two though, day two is the day that I just about quit this whole attempt. So here we are. I think I put up, I don't know, maybe like 68 miles or something on the first day and was right where I wanted to be. And was like, all right, you know, here we go day two. And I go out into the woods and eight miles later I come out and I probably had 40 ticks on me. And <laughs> at that point I was like, burn everything burn the van, burn my clothes, burn everything down, burn this whole forest down, get me out of here. Like this absolutely needs to stop. 
<laughs> and and it's so funny because the crew is just like oh well the ticks aren't bad in the van and i'm like yeah i know they're not bad in the van <laughs> and so i'm like but we i'm not doing this like i refuse to spend the next three weeks out here just being covered in ticks and mosquitoes like all day every day i did not want to be there and so my crew like they're just like just go back out and we'll try to figure something out through the next section and I'm like I swear to god I am not moving from this spot and so we uh Kevin posted something on uh Instagram about like an update of like me and the ticks or whatever and someone sends me a message and they're like get some duct tape and turn it (laughs) sticky side out and put it around your ankles. And that way, when the ticks are falling off of the grass, they'll fall into your shoes. They'll start crawling up your leg, but they'll be stuck on the duct tape and they won't make it past that. And I was like, I do not believe in this witchcraft, but, (laughs) (laughs) but if you guys can make this happen, if you get duct tape and put it around my ankles, and if I go out there and no ticks make it past the duct tape, then I will continue this FKT. But if I go back out there and tick even so much even starts to crawl off of the duct tape past that and up my leg, like I am absolutely 100% out. And so I do this next stretch. Sure enough, like I come out of the woods, there are probably 30 ticks that are just stuck to the duct tape, but none of them made it past my ankles. Wow. Yeah. So this, this, this whole podcast was worth that right (laughs) i'm writing this down duct tape is in the bin for every summer race here going forward absolutely i was gonna say how far up your leg did you have to put the duct tape just the ankles so just the ankle so you didn't even like have to put it to mid calf or anything nope okay but oh man that's a that's a hell of a trick yeah oh but i was so done that i was like i am absolutely out like and it was just so funny because everyone's like what was your breaking point on ice age and i go <laughs> i don't know eight miles into day two <laughs> they're like how many days and i'm like yeah i know uh um, so well so that that begs the question then i mean you had 19 more days after that and and you hit your low point at day two like how did you come back from that um well Uh, I think that we got to eat at like a Chili's that night or something like that. So I think I was pretty fine. Um, (laughs) Chili's for the win. Wait a minute. I remember somebody asked you like how you eat. And I want to say you had like gas station food. That was like your response. Yeah. Quick trip gas station. Quick trip gas station food. (laughs) Yeah. uh, Survived 21 days on that. Um, That's so gross. (laughs) It is. But. Uh, since it was still early in COVID, most restaurants were shut down. Um, like it, it messed up a lot of the plans that we had. Like originally we had planned on camping at certain campgrounds along the trail. This is where we had planned on, you know, there's a Walmart here. We could resupply here, like all these different things. But with, uh, COVID it's like, uh, all of the campgrounds were shut down, uh, bathrooms and shower facilities were shut down. Uh, many restaurants in the small towns in the first half of this thing were actually shut down. Uh, not all the hotels were open. So um, it really kind of messed up the plan. And instead of ordering food from, you know, these restaurants along the way, it's like, oh, no, we're getting all of our food at Quick Trip in the morning and you will uh, eat whatever you eat. And then uh, hopefully when we stop for the night, there will still be a restaurant open that's not Taco Bell. 
Yeah, it was like fried chicken sandwiches and something else that you said you were you were just pounding them to get as many calories in yourself as you could. Cheeseburgers, breakfast croissants, uh, <laughs> like cold spaghettios, chicken and stars soup. Just straight you're making Michelle pan. sick. Michelle's oh yeah, sick. yeah, I'm pretty sick now. No, oh yeah, but like. Um, so this doesn't answer the question though. Like, like if anything, the, if anything, you're doing the opposite of answering the question. Like, <laughs> how did how did you come back from from hitting that low point on day two? The answer can't be, oh, I I literally ate spaghettios directly out of the can along with my quick trip breakfast croissants. Like George, George, I this mean, is this is the issue. You and Michelle aren't ultra runners well and, and and that's why i'm asking the question i mean and, and eric if you can answer it better than, than than answer it too but 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 Corey, that's what i want to understand is that that how how were you able to to overcome emotionally rebound is what food. Jordan wants amidst all of this food <laughs> it's amazing like sometimes those spaghettios taste like the most amazing thing in the world and you're like oh i'm so thankful that i've been blessed with this cold can of spaghettios with meatballs so, um, I don't know, like day two is pretty low. And then day five, I rolled my ankle. And so I didn't tell the crew about it till day seven when they saw me just limping down the road and they're like, something was wrong. And I'm like, oh yeah, I know something's wrong, but it will be fine. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, there are a lot of low points and, uh, apparently they're like the remnants of a tropical storm that were coming through Wisconsin. Like the East coast got hit really hard and then it made its way to Wisconsin so here we are like day two, day three, they're all 80, 85, super humid. Then day six, I think was a tropical storm day where it's like 37 degrees and raining in Wisconsin in July. I mean, in June, like, what is that? Um, and, and so there are just a lot of lows that were conditions or, oh, I'm eating another cheeseburger or another can of spaghettios um but i don't know like this just sounds par for the course to me on a you know fkt of 1200 miles across a trail i mean i would say you know i'm interested what was the most meaningful uh part of being out there for 21 days um hmm, most meaningful um well, we ended up raising about $35,000 for Feeding America over the 21 days. So that was pretty awesome. Um, and we raised, uh, I don't remember how much we raised for the Ice Age Trail Alliance, um, but they basically shut their fundraising page off after the second day. And they're like, We've, you've already raised enough for us, like focus it all on Feeding America. Um, and then I guess like, the other like really, really, really cool thing about it was we did a Facebook live on day like seven, day eight, somewhere in there. Uh, and it was after my ankle is just pretty much at its worst where it was like, okay, like I'm, I went from putting up, you know, 60 miles a day to now I'm putting up 25 miles a day. Like something needs to change. And uh, as we were doing that, multiple people were like, oh, well, if there's like one thing we could do to help, like, what would it be? And, you know, just me and my semi-sarcastic self at times, I was like, I could really go for a lasagna and red velvet cupcakes. And sure enough, 
people were making homemade lasagnas and homemade cupcakes and they were following our spot tracker and they were showing up to trailheads with lasagna and red velvet cupcakes. Um, And so multiple people were doing that. People were like, hey, do you guys have laundry that we can do? And people are just like taking our laundry back to their houses, doing it, then finding us out on the trail, bringing clean laundry. Uh, People are dropping off food. People are dropping off beer, coffee, like all kinds of things. Multiple people uh, invited us to stay in their homes that lived close to the trail so that way we wouldn't have to get a hotel. Um, Like so many people really wanted to help out and just see this thing happen. That, That was just really special and really cool. That's, great people in Wisconsin. That's, that's the answer, by the way. The <laughs> Eric. But I got you your answer, George. Thank you, Michelle. So, Corey, that was 2020. I know the pandemic <laughs> continued into 2021, and we've seen races, you know, start to come back more recently. But the Penhody FKT, you also set in 2021. Are those the two big FKTs that you have right now? Yeah. Cool. So what's next for you? Like, can you give us a little bit of insight into why you're hanging out in Chattanooga and what you're training for and what we can look forward to following you do this year? Yeah, um, that's a good question. Um, (laughs) So Chattanooga is awesome. So that's why I'm there. I mean, Chattanooga is great. Lots of good trails, lots of opportunities for basically any outdoor activity you can want. So uh, I love that. Um, this year, uh, I am going back to Cocodona 250, which, um, and I you said, had DNF that before. Is that right? I did. Uh, yeah. You know, three weeks after setting the Pinhoti trail FKT is like, oh yeah, let's run Cocodona 250 because that's what <laughs> all normal people do. Um, and that ended up being a horrible decision. Uh, I think, you know, at mile 20 of Cocodona is probably some of the most miserable I've ever been in a running race. So that's pretty early for a 250. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and so, uh, I'm going back to Cocodona this year. Um, and then, uh, I'm doing a stage race in Iceland in July. It's 150 miles, six days. Yeah. Um, is that a North face race or it is not, um, just, you know, the race was like, Hey, we'd love to have you here. I'm like, I mean, I'm not going to turn down Norway. Uh, I mean, Iceland, sorry. So yeah, there's that. Um, I am not going after the FKT on the AT this fall. Ooh, that's um, what I was wondering. <laughs> yep, I am not. Um, the lottery. Did you got... start that rumor? Is that just like how did that how did that get out there? Um, oh, I I had fully planned on going. I'd I'd planned on doing it this year. Okay. Um, the lottery gods um have been a little too kind to me this year. And, uh, there are just a couple of races that I've gotten into for later in the year and early into next year that I just can't turn down at this point. Um, so I'm going to push the AT back. Um, thankfully the North face is super cool with that. And, uh, so now I don't know if I'm going to go, uh, it will be next year for sure. Uh, I just don't know if I'm going to go northbound in the spring or southbound in the fall next year. These are big decisions. They are. And it's one of those things where this year I just didn't feel like I was in uh, the best of shape to give it the effort that it would need. Um, And I mean, I realize that it's still 
definitely early in the year, but I, I'm just not in the shape I'd need to be to do what I'd like to do on it. Um, and so that's why, you know, just going to push it off, uh, a bit, but, uh, yeah, uh, northbound or southbound, it's like, they're both, they both have challenges and as much as I'd be like, they're, they shouldn't be that different. They're quite a bit different experiences. Um, and so that's what I'm, uh, kind of hanging out in Chattanooga, just going to figure out if I'm going to go north or southbound. And luckily I have a year to decide that now. That's pretty cool. Um, I want to pivot just a little bit. You've been in the world of ultra running, you know, for the last five, six, seven, eight years, but I'm curious how, you know, from at least your point of view, uh, how you've seen it change. Um, I know just personally, 10 years ago, I had a handful of friends that ran hundred mile races and, you know, nobody had even heard of people running hundred miles. And now you can barely get into a 100 if you're just a amateur recreational ultra runner, like I want to be an Eric Ardias and yada, yada. So what, what is your, you know, what is your experience with how it's changed and um, what do you have to say about that? Yeah, um, it is different. Um, I guess uh, my first couple of years is kind of funny because the races I was trying to get into like American river 50 mile, which is the second like the second oldest 50 mile race in the country, I think. And it's one of the biggest as like, I don't know, 600, 700 people that run it. Um, that used to be like one of the big early season races people would do on the West coast out in like April. And now it's kind of like, Oh, they've added the 25 mile race to get more people there. Um, and so I think that we're seeing some of the older, like more classic races, maybe aren't always selling out like they used to, or maybe they just don't have quite the notoriety that, uh, they're not necessarily the races that athletes were looking at to be like, oh, if I go win this or podium at this race, then this will lead to a sponsorship. Because um, now there are just so many new races popping up and it's like, hey, we have, you know, XYZ coming to our race. And so I think, I think that that's kind of, I don't know, like breaking into the world of ultra right now, if you're like a collegiate athlete that's looking to get into say the pro side of ultras like I'm, I really wouldn't even know where to start just because there are so many different races anymore um but I will say uh we're seeing just overall especially over the past probably three years um probably just more people in general getting into running um into the ultras um, stepping up to like the hundred mile distance, even the like two hundreds now, like two hundreds are selling out. Like most of the two hundreds are a lot. Yeah, the one hundred is no longer enough. <laughs> yeah, um, and that's like that's so wild. <laughs> like that's so wild to me though that there'd be that people like there's a a wait list and a lottery to run a two hundred mile race. Like that seems just ridiculous to me, but it's really awesome. Um, and I don't know, there's a lot, I, I would say there's more diversity in the sport now than, um, than in the past and like, not, you know, just race, but like, um, age, like everything, like there, there are definitely a lot more women in the sport now, I think. And I mean, they're kicking ass, like Camille just won the, you know, hundred mile national championship. Like she was first person across the finish line running 12 hours and 40 minutes for a hundred miles. Like I can't, oh, we even, know. I, can't, <laughs> I can't, I can't even wrap my head around that. Uh, 735 pace or something yeah like that is so awesome um and so I think that it's just really fun to see like 
great performances like that celebrated across the board. Whereas um, like, I think back to maybe like Anne Trayson, like she won so many things, but I think people got tired of her winning. (laughs) And there were years before women really started to dominate again. I was going to say she was, she was the one. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, totally on that on that note of diversity, I mean, so you're you're African American, um, you're gay. They're not a whole lot of people that cut the same profile you do inside the ultra world. Um, what that what's that like? What's your experience been inside of that? And and do you see it diversifying? And do you see yourself playing a role in helping people who run or the ultra world become more diverse? Yeah. Um, you know, that's one of those things that I didn't really think about when I was first getting into the sport. Cause like, I was just like, okay, I'm kind of fast. I'd love to figure out how to become a pro here we go. Um, and then just as I learned more about the ins and outs of being a professional athlete and like how the system works and all of that, um, it was kind of wild where I'm like, oh, I am black and gay and I'm kind of fast. So this is fun. Like <laughs> this, this is actually a good thing, you know? Um, and luckily with opportunities like eco challenge and then setting some of the FKTs, the longer stuff that got more national and international attention, um, it has been able to give me a platform to reach out, well, have people reach out to me and just like get the word, get messages out there. If I have something I'm really passionate about. Um, and so it's awesome when people send me these messages through like Facebook and Instagram, just being like, oh, it's really nice to see you just being so open about your life and being out there. Um, because, you know, for a while, I was very just result oriented, like I just wanted to be fast. Um, but now I've realized there's just so much more to it than that. And like one of my goals is to get more people out in the sport. Like, I mean, I really don't care like what color you are, what sex you are, whatever, you know, it's like, I just want to get people out into the outdoors because I've had the opportunity to see these awesome places and I want other people to see them also. Um, But it's always like, yay, when, you know, there is a person of color or someone in the LGBTQ plus community that said, hey, because we saw you on Eco Challenge or we saw this article about you on Pinhoti or Ice Age, uh, we decided to reach out and now we're very interested in the sport. Yeah, well, I, I think, you know, to your point, it definitely changes the, the picture or the archetype of an ultra runner, right? Um, you know, to the degree that, that, that you can say, well, what does an ultra runner look like? Well, you're, you're changing the conceptions of what an ultra runner looks like, um, such that uh, people who look like a wide variety of things um, can, can see themselves as ultra runners. Um, and I think that's fantastic. I think it's super important. And I appreciate you're doing that. Um, very good. Well, we're going to wrap it up here in just a couple minutes. We have a couple more questions we want to ask you. Um, easier questions. <laughs> so easier questions. Yeah. Um, so Eric, go ahead. Well, so I'll say this as you were talking, you know, we started with, oh, you had a bunch of DNFs and I, I can say, you know, as a, as a fellow ultra runner, Corey, um, as the only fellow ultra runner on this podcast, <laughs> I understand podcast. the DNF. And, and I've got a, and I've got a 17 year old daughter who's, she's run a hundred, she's run a hundred K she's run a few fifties. She's run a few 50 Ks. She's uh, gearing up for the keys 100. Um, and her dream, her dream is to get a ticket to bad water. Um, so she's working on that, but I heard at the beginning of this, Oh, you had this like season of DNFs, but then I heard you say I'm peeing blood at 19 miles, but then I ran to 39. And then I heard you say, I'm running 1200 miles. And on day two, I was miserable, but 
but I finished it. Oh, and by the way, I twisted my ankle and I went from 60 miles to 25 or less and I still finished it. So what in the world does it take to cause you to DNF and, or what do you do to get through those really bad spots? Cause I want to, you know, I want to be able to take something and say, look, this is what I was told by someone who's been there, you know, and, and say, this is what you should think about, or this is what he thought about. Yeah. Um, oh man. Uh, I did have quite a few DNFs last year. Uh, and a lot of those were basically from, not necessarily being trained specifically for those events. Um, and then just having like super wild things happen. So at like high lonesome 100, uh, I went out to altitude for a month ahead of time and was like, I'm going to do really well. Like my fitness is kind of coming back. I'm good. And then, uh, I ended up throwing up 17 times in the first 50 K. Um, okay, that's, that's a mark. That's probably, you need to stop. Yep. And do you actually count 17? Yes. Wow, I was okay. counting every time. Um, okay. and it was one of those things where I came in and, um, it was actually really funny. Um, because, uh, at 50 K they're just like, okay. Um, well, there's no one here that can take you back to like your crew. So the easiest way for you to get off of this course is actually to just keep going. And like, no, 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 like, I'm not stupid. Like, I know that you tell people that and like at 50, you shouldn't have to tell someone that at 50 K though, into a hundred mile race. And they're like, no, like really though, it's way easier for you just to keep going. And so <laughs> it's like, what if I just sit here until after the cutoff, then I can't go. And they're like, yeah, but I don't think you want to sit in this chair for 45 minutes. I was like, ah, oh, I don't think you know me. I kind of do. I was going to say uh, that, that, that doesn't, that doesn't feel like long. a challenge at all. <laughs> that ain't long at all. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, finally I was like, I got up and left that aid station with one minute left and, and they're just like, okay, you're fine. And I was fine, but it was just one of those things where like, I was not, trained for that race the altitude is just crushing me and like mentally I just was not mentally uh invested in that race to anything that I like I didn't care strongly about that race so I ended up taking a DNF at mile 49 um which is funny because I ended up missing the cutoff at mile 49 by two minutes and I was pissed because I was finally not throwing up was able to keep food down like everything oh. was good and then they're like oh you missed it by two minutes we have to pull you and so then I had to wait in a chair for two hours before I could get a ride uh back to the finish so <laughs> so uh so there was that um and then it like muggy on monster 100 out in Arizona um that was one where uh, I was just kind of struggling, but like I was getting it done, no big deal. And then same thing, just started throwing up to the point that I was getting super dizzy, lightheaded. And I go, this might be my first helicopter ride off a mountain. So uh, instead of continuing on the climb, I just turned around, walked back to the aid station and got a ride out. Um, but yeah, like normally it's something something like that, like multiple times of throwing up for hours at a time, um, or just like an injury that's bad enough where it's like, Oh, like you, you're probably not going to finish. Um, other than that, like, I'm good. I'll keep going. I know how to keep pushing on. It's not that bad. Awesome. Okay. Now we're going to transition to a few final easy questions. Um, what's your favorite workout? 
Uh, I don't know, making cupcakes. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Is it is that the name of the workout? Or are you actually talking about making cupcakes? <laughs> no, just like I think he's talking about red velvet cupcakes. Right. Red velvet cupcakes. Mm, yep. <laughs> now, yeah, I don't know. I love the long run because I mean, anything can be a long run. There are certain weeks that 30 minutes is a long run and there are certain weeks that eight hours is a long run, you know? So, but yeah, cupcakes. Mm-hmm. All right. Very good. Very good. Um, I, we know you're sponsored by the North Face. You mentioned Jason Coop. Um, are you have other sponsors or other people you're working with? Yeah, right now I'm with uh, Ford. So that's why I have the new Bronco, um, which I love. You have a, a new Bronco? I totally yeah. missed that. You got yeah. a Ford sponsorship? That is yeah. so cool. I've had the I've had the Bronco Sport for like the last year now. Um, they so didn't that, even make enough of those. I know. Suddenly, <laughs> suddenly your road trip makes a lot more sense. Yes. <laughs> the, the the road trip that involved you driving from Illinois down through Alabama, where you did Mountain Mist, you, missed, you finished up in Florida, you drove back up through Dalton and got tacos, then you landed in Chattanooga. There's yep. all these pictures of your car on your Instagram. Suddenly that makes much more sense. Absolutely. <laughs> okay. Um, Smart Wool. I, this is my second year with them. Koros. Uh, just signed with Gnarly Nutrition. Um, yeah. I'm not sure whether Michelle is more jealous of your Koros sponsorship, your Ford sponsorship, or most importantly, your Smart Wool Smart sponsorship. Wool. Smart I think Wool. Smart Wool might top it. Yeah, um, Smart Wool. <laughs> <laughs> At least this time of year. Corey, yeah. which watch are you wearing? Uh, I have the uh, the Vertex Two. Vertex. Um, yeah. You like it? Um. Yeah, I do. I mean, I feel like it's very similar to the first version. Just has better battery life. So cool. yeah. Oh, very and good. Kodiak cakes. I'm with Kodiak. Like I love them. For real, yeah. you are. Yeah. The the pancake people. Yep. Oh man. Yeah. Okay. I might be jealous of that one. Uh, um, and, my, and my sons are definitely jealous of that one as well. So Corey, if people want to follow you and your Ford Bronco and Coros watch and smart wool clothing <laughs> and races, where can we find you? Uh, I'm most active on Instagram. So just Corey Waltering on Instagram. Cool. Very good. Corey Waltering, trailblazer, professional ultra runner and all around good guy. Lover of red velvet cupcakes. We appreciate you being on the most pleasant exhaustion podcast, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was awesome. So we'll hope you'll come back sometime and uh, and good luck and everything that's next, man. And we'll see you in January. Woo! Thanks again for listening to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash pleasantpodcast, on Twitter at pleasantpodcast, or on Instagram, Most Pleasant Exhaustion. We're available on Stitcher, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify, so share us with your friends. Don't forget that we're sponsored by ITL Coaching and Performance, who you can find at itlcoaching.com, on Twitter at itlcoaching, on Facebook at facebook.com slash itlcoachingperformance, and on Instagram, itlcoaching. We're also sponsored by Blue Pineapple Travel, bluepineappletravel.com, facebook.com slash bluepineappletravel, and on Instagram, bluepineappletravel. And finally, don't forget we're sponsored by SlayRx. That's slayrx.com, facebook.com slash here for SlayRx. That's the number four, SlayRx. Twitter, at official SlayRx. And Instagram, here for SlayRx, the number four, SlayRx. Discount code PLEASANT22.
On behalf of Michelle Frank, Patrick Ollinger, and Eric Hall, I'm George Darden. Thanks for listening to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast.